0: When we think of love, sometimes what comes to mind is a feeling or an emotion, but love is more than that. Hi, it's Josh here, one of the pastors at West Valley Christian Church, and we are on a series called Love Does, where we are discovering that love is not just a feeling, but it's about doing something. It's about action. Hope you enjoy the message. So we are starting our new series on Love Does. Love Does. And, uh, you know, normally sometimes when Pastor Rob will, will start a series or we're talking about a certain word, he'll, he'll go to his go-to place. That's the, the dictionary. Um, I decided to go to the place where I find my wisdom, uh, children. So, so I, I looked at some things that, that how a bunch of four to eight-year-old children answered the question, what does love mean? I apologize for the graphic nature for, of a few of these says, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore, so my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. Carl, age five, love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. (laughs) Chrissy, age six, says, love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. I don't love my wife then, because that's never happened to me. Danny, age 7, says, Love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy, and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure the taste is okay. Emily, age 8, I apologize for this one. Love is when you kiss all the time. Then you get tired of kissing. You still want to be together, and you talk more. My mommy and daddy are like that. They look gross when they kiss. Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. Noel says, love is when you tell a guy you like a shirt, then he wears it every day. (laughs) Tommy says, love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends even after they know each other so well. My mommy loves me more than anybody. You don't see anybody else kissing me to sleep at night. Elaine said, love is when mommy gives daddy the best piece of chicken. Love is when your puppy licks your face even after you left him alone all day. And lastly, Jessica said, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. You know, we all might have different definitions for love and different things that we think of when we hear the word love. But this morning and for the next couple of weeks, I want us to be thinking about what what the Bible says about the idea of love. Um, really, as I think about god 's Word, as I think about the Bible, I think of this whole book being about love. Okay? I think of it about being god 's love for you and for me. Um, you know, as I was thinking about it, and some people might argue with me about this, I would say there aren 't a lot of good love stories in the Bible, okay because like even the best ones, there are some issues with them okay there aren 't a lot of good love stories there are a couple. And then there's some, some couples in the Bible that, you know, we don't want to emulate. Like I was thinking some on the good side, on the positive side. We have the story of Jacob and Rachel. Jacob was so smitten by Rachel that he was willing to work for, Rachel, for Rachel's father Laban for seven years in order to marry her. And in Genesis 29 verse 20, it says, So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. That's precious, isn't it? And then his father-in-law deceived him. And, and then he had to work another seven years to actually get Rachel. You know, I mean, it kind of ruins the story, you know? But it's, it's close. All right? And then I was thinking of a couple that isn't a very good love story. I was thinking of, uh, you know, our favorite couple, Ahab and Jezebel. Okay? You know, a real power couple. They, they made really poor choices. Um, they, they followed the false prophets of Baal. and Together they were involved in all kinds of nonsense. So not a couple we want to emulate as people. Back on the positive side, I think of Ruth, and I think of Boaz. Um, Ruth had already lost her husband along with her, her, her father-in-law, and she goes back to Israel as a foreigner with her mother-in-law, and they're, they're, kind, they're widows, they're powerless, and yet Boaz takes care of them, and, and Boaz loves her. And, and I, I love the story of Ruth because of the significance that someone, uh, an insignificant foreigner, ended up having in, in the story of Israel. Why? Because... They have Obed, and Obed has a guy named Jesse as a child, and Jesse has who for a son? Jesse has David, King David, and so Ruth, someone insignificant in the eyes of so many, uh, turns into someone really important in the history of Israel. So two out of three of those stories are good, Um, but like I said, they're not even close to the most important love story that I think of when I think of the Bible, because this love story is all about God's love for us and God's love for our world. You know, if you are here, very often at all, you hear all the time from this pulpit that God loves you. Matter of fact, the only thing that even come close to how often Pastor Rob says God loves you is he mentions purple chairs, okay? But but still he mentions God loves you even more than that. But I want you to think for a second this morning. How do you know that God loves you? Like, it isn't just enough that that Pastor Rob is always saying that God loves you. It isn't even just enough that there are words that are written that says, hey, God loves you. I want you to think about that. How do we really, truly know that God loves us? I think we know that God loves us because of what God did for us. Okay? If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to John chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand if you'd like one. One of these gentlemen will give you one. And I put, these, I put these references in order. So if you find the first one, we'll go to the right afterwards. But in John chapter 3, a familiar verse. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. Okay? For God so loved the world that he gave. He did something. Turn over to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. says, so you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So how did God demonstrate his love for us? Christ died for us. It continues. Go to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So again, it wasn't just he said, I loved you. He loved me, and he gave himself for me. Ephesians chapter 2. Next book over, Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 4 says, but because of this great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. We were made alive through Christ. Go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John, so if you keep going towards the back, right before you get to the book of Revelation. 1 John 3. We're going to start in verse 16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And then it might be on the same page for some of you, it might be on the next page, chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice For our sins. Do you see a recurring theme there? How do we know that God loves us? It isn't just that He sent us a book that says, I love you. It wasn't just that He said, I love you. You know, He did something about it. He sent His Son Jesus. And so I really believe, as we look at this series, that we are supposed to love like God does. That we are supposed to love like God does. So this sermon series, is not based on Bob's Go- Bob Goff's book, Love Does, but it was inspired by this book. Um, and there's a story that, that Bob starts in, in chapter one, and he tells the story of a guy named Randy. And, and Randy was a little bit older than him. Bob was in high school at the time that he met Randy, and he, he couldn't quite figure out why Randy was hanging out with him, because Randy was a little bit older th- than he was. And, and Randy had three things that Bob was really intrigued by. Randy had a Triumph motorcycle, he had a beard, and he had a girlfriend. Okay, all those were things that Bob was interested in and yet quite hadn't been able to get yet. Okay, and, and so Randy turns out he wasn't just some creeper. Okay, Randy worked with a group called Young Life and, and they were there to work with the young uh, young men and women at the school and, and try to lead them to Christ. And so Bob, it says in there, he tried to keep Randy at a distance, but Randy was persistent and he stood close there and, and eventually they became friends. And in his own words, and I'm not, so I'm not putting Bob down. He wrote this in the book. You could read it for himself. In his own words, Bob would say that he was a lousy student. And so at some point, he had heard that instead of going to high school, he could take a test. And if he could pass that test, he could drop out of school and he could go live his life. And so Bob decided that he was going to do that. Okay. Now, again, by his own admission, he couldn't figure out how to sign up to take that test, which should have been a sign that he should have stayed in school. Okay, But he couldn't figure out how to sign up for that test, so he didn't take that test. But in his junior year, he decided, hey, you know what? I don't care. It's time to go. And so Bob decided, he he packed up his stuff and decided that he was going to Yosemite. And he was going to go there, and and he was going to climb the the rocks, and he was going to work there, and that was going to be his life. So this is what he packed. He packed a down vest, two red red bandanas. I almost said two red bananas. That would be shocking. Okay, two red bandanas, a pair of rock climbing shoes, $75, and a VW Bug. Okay, he thought he had it all. Okay, he was ready to go. And, and so he figured that he would go up there, he would find a job, he'd get a job, and he would just have everything that he needed to, to survive and to have a great life. And, and so he stopped by Randy's place just to say goodbye, just to say, hey, Randy, thanks for everything, I'm, I'm out of here. Okay? And, and so he, he knocked on the door, and Randy came to the door, and, and it was pretty clear to him that Randy had just gotten out of bed, you know, he kind of had that look on his face, not dissimilar to some of the looks some of you guys have in the nine o'clock service when you're walking in here, okay? Uh, but he clearly had not been awake for much. And, and so he told Randy of his plan, and Randy just looked at him and says, All right, you leaving soon? And Bob was like, Well, I was planning on leaving right now. I mean, I'm packed up and I am ready to go. And, and so Randy went back into his house for a minute. Uh, he came back outside with an old beat up backpack and a sleeping bag, and all he said to Bob was, Bob, I'm with you. So Randy was going to drop everything and go with Bob up to Yosemite. And so those words stuck with Bob. And so they had a little bit of a conversation about what was going on. And and Randy didn't lecture him about what a poor choice he was making. He didn't try to explain to him all the reasons why he should or shouldn't go on this trip. In the story, Bob doesn't even mention his parents. You know, like, did he even tell his parents? I I don't know. I would love to know if he actually talked to his parents about it. But he just said, you know what? I'm, I'm with you. And so Randy said, hey, listen, we'll figure it out. When when you get up there and you get settled, I'll figure out a way to get back home. You know, like Randy wasn't planning on going forever. He was just going to go up there and make sure Bob got settled, and he he would figure out how to get home later. So it was decided. They jumped into the VW. They went to Yosemite. um, And after a long drive, they got there, and they didn't have anywhere to sleep. Okay? So what did they do? They snuck into a tent that they were supposed to rent, and they slept for the night in it. Okay? Uh, They woke up the next day. And they looked all around for a job for Bob. They went into every store in the Yosemite Valley, and no one was hiring. Nobody wanted to hire Bob, um, but he was so excited because he felt alive. You know, like when you walked out of that tent and you're in the Yosemite Valley, he's like, I'm a man. You know, like he was so free because no one was telling him what to do anymore. And so after spending that day with no, with no luck looking for a job, they went back to that tent, and they slept that night. And so they just decided that the next morning they were going to get up and they were going to go rock climbing. And Randy didn't tell him it was a bad idea, you should go home, nothing like that. He just kept encouraging him, just kept telling, hey, I'm with you. He kept telling him that you could do it. And so, again, they got up the next day, they went rock climbing, they had dinner, and Bob kind of looked at Randy and said, you know what, this isn't working out. Man, maybe I should go home. And Randy responded by saying, man, whatever you decide, just know that either way, I'm with you. And so with that, they hopped back into the VW and drove home. Now, when they got back to Randy's place, Bob noticed that Randy's girlfriend's car was in the driveway. So they got out of the car, they went into the house, and they saw that the floor was filled with all kinds of stuff. Plates and wrapping paper, glasses, microwave, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. And Bob was kind of wondering, what's going on here? And then Randy's girlfriend comes around the corner the house. And she gives Randy a big old kiss and says, welcome home, honey. And it was at that moment that Bob quickly realized, you know what, all that stuff on the floor, those were wedding presents. This wasn't just Randy's girlfriend anymore. They had just gotten married. And right after getting married, Randy was willing to drop everything and go with this guy, Bob, to Yosemite. And I wanted to read to you what Bob said. He says, I felt both sick and choked up in an instant. I realized that these were wedding presents on the floor. Randy's girlfriend had just gotten married. When I had knocked on Randy's door on that Sunday morning, Randy didn't see just a high school kid who disrupted the beginning of his marriage. He saw a kid who was about to jump the tracks. Instead of spending the early days of his marriage with his bride, he spent it with me, sneaking into the back of a tent. Why? It was because Randy loved me. He saw the need and he did something about it. He didn't just say he was for me or with me, He was actually present with me. What I learned from Randy changed my view permanently about what it meant to have a friendship with Jesus. I learned that faith isn't about knowing all the right stuff or obeying a list of rules. It's something more, something more costly because it involves being present and making a sacrifice. Perhaps that's why Jesus is sometimes called Emmanuel, God with us. I think that's what God had in mind for Jesus, just to be present, to be just to just be with us. It's also what he has in mind for us when it comes to other people. And I loved that story when I first read it, and and I still love it now because I can picture Randy just saying, I'm with you. And isn't that what people need? Isn't that what the people in our lives need? Someone just to come alongside them and say, man, I am with you. Isn't that what you need? Isn't that what I need sometimes? Is someone just to come alongside and say, I'm with you. You know, we read in first John chapter three, verse sixteen, but then seventeen and eighteen goes on, it says this. It says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. I hope you catch that last sentence there. Let us not love with words or speech. It is easy to say, I love you. It is easy to say, hey, I'll pray for you. But what he's saying here is, man, to love with actions and a truth, to do something about it. When you see that brother or sister in need, to reach out and actually do something about what's going on. So my question is this, how can we love others like God does? How can we love others like God does? And there are probably 100 answers to this question. And I'm just going to share three briefly with you. And and these are actually the three that we're going to look at for the next couple of weeks. Okay. Um, So how can I love others like God does? The Bible talks a great deal about how we ought to treat people. But the first way that I want us to think about how we can love others like God does is we can be forgiving. We can be forgiving. You know, to me, when I read the Old Testament it is like an Old Testament model of forgiveness. Because the Israelites were constantly fouling up. They were constantly messing up. They were constantly in rebellion from God. But after being punished, after they were suffering because of their own choices, when they would, when they would come back to God, God always heard their prayers. God always restored them. You know, and so what I want to hold on to is the idea that, man, when, when we foul things up and we go back to God, He's not waiting there to give us a lecture, He's waiting there to forgive us. And that's how we as Christians ought to be as well. We ought to be the most forgiving people in the world because we understand how much we have been forgiven, we understand how much we have done wrong, and so we ought to be the most forgiving people. In Mark eleven twenty five 25, it says, When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Colossians 3, 13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And then as Jesus is being hung on the cross in Luke, chapter 23, verse 34, it says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. You know, as Christians, if we want to love like God does, then we need to be forgiving. And we're going to take a look at the story of Joseph uh, in in the next week and see how he forgave his brothers. What a powerful story about forgiveness. The next thing that, that I want to mention is this, is that the second way that we can love others is by sacrificing for them or serving them. The second way that we can love the way God does is we can sacrifice or serve. You know, the story of Jesus is exactly that. He came to this earth to serve us. Mark 10, 45 says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He lived a life of service. We ought to live a life of service. Um, you know, there's so many things that are needed in this world. There's so many things, but that's why it's so important for us as God's church to be doing all that we can to serve. You know, the Harvest Festival's coming up in just a couple of weeks. There's, you know, that trash can out there waiting for everybody to fill it up with candy. What an opportunity to love people through service in our community. It's an opportunity to show people God's love, that maybe, maybe there's no other way they might set foot on this campus, but on that night, they'll come here, and hopefully they'll be able to see God's love in the way that we treat them, we can love like God does by sacrificing and serving others. Lastly, uh, on this, is the way we can love is by encouraging others. You know, when I read this, uh, it's a constant encouragement to me. Like when I read bad things, it's like, okay, I'm not alone. You know, <laughs> when, it, when, it, when it's stuff about forgiveness and grace, like, okay, Lord, that is there for me. And so God's word is a constant encouragement for us. But we all need that encouragement, don't we? In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, it says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just in fact you are doing. Hebrews 10.25 talks about us encouraging each other. Hebrews, Ephesians 4.29 talks about using words that build people up. And can we agree our world has enough negativity? Like, don't we need people that are going to build others up and not people that are going to tear people down? Um, listen, I am, I'm really good at making fun of people okay? Anybody who's ever been in my life group knows that I am really good at picking on Bill Regan, who happens to be in the service, okay? It's a gift, and it's a curse, all right? But what our world needs is people that are encouraging, people that are going to lift other people up, and and you know, I need to get better at this, and yet I try. I try sometimes. I recently had a friend uh, who was going to spend the day in court, and I knew... um, I just knew that what they were going to say about him that day wasn't going to be good. And so um, I didn't do anything spectacular. I just sent him a text in the morning saying that I was praying for him and that he was a good person. Not a big deal, just a text. Not a big, you know, it doesn't sound so little. But you know, there's so many of those so little things that we're able to do that sometimes can make a huge difference in somebody else's life. Just a simple text, just a simple "I'm praying for you." You know, maybe actually pulling somebody's side and actually praying for them. You know, if we're gonna love like like God does, we're, we're to be encouraging. So, so the last thing that I, I kind of want to mention is this: is how can I love God like He loves me? How can I love God? like he loves me. And my simple answer to that is this, is that we all need to allow love to be what motivates everything that we do for him. You know, as Christians, sometimes we've gotten pretty good at motivating people by guilt, like we try to make them feel bad, and we try to motivate them that way. Or or we've tried to motivate people by using shame. It's like they feel bad about themselves, so we try to shame people into doing what we think they ought to do. Or we try to use fear, like make them afraid, you know, like we're trying to preach them into heaven because they're afraid of hell. But the truth is, what we ought to be doing is we ought to be doing everything through love. We ought to be trying to get people to do things because of their love for God, not because we're trying to make them do it like they have to. Let me explain. Like, like why is it so important for us to read our Bible? It isn't because anybody gets any brownie points for reading their Bible. Okay. We should read our Bibles because we love God and we believe that's His Word and we want to know what He has to say in our lives. Why should we pray? We should pray because we love God and we want to communicate with him. We want to listen to him. We want to have a relationship and to speak with him. Why do we go to church? We should go to church because, you know what, I love God. And God's people are meeting today. Okay? And God is there. And so that's why I should go to church. Not because, man, you know, Pastor Kirby's going to call me if I don't show up at church two weeks in a row. Okay? Wow. Wow. You've called these people, huh, Glenn? Anyway, that's not a good reason to go to church. The good reason to go to church is because I love God and I want to be there. Okay, Why is it that I need to be careful about the words that come out of my mouth? Why? Because I love God. And and his word tells me that I should be careful about the words that come out of my mouth. Why should I be giving my tithe and my offerings to the Lord? Is it because I have to? It's because I feel guilty? No, I do it and we all should do it because we love God and we want to give because of how much he's blessed. Why do I serve God? Why should we serve God? We serve God because we love him, because we were created. Ephesians 2.10 says that we were created to do good works. So why do we serve? Not because we have to, but because we get to, because we love him. And there's so many other things. Why should you treat that coworker at work well? even though they're a jerk to you every single day, okay? If that's your situation, look up 1 Peter 2.12, okay? Because we're called to treat those people well. Why should I respect those in authority over me? Why? Because authority comes from God, Romans chapter 13. Why should I pray for the leaders in my life? Not just our our church leaders, but our, our state leaders, our federal leaders. Why should we pray for them? Because God asks us to, and because we love him, and we want to please him. You know, some of those things are easy for some of us. Maybe for some of you in here, all of those things are easy. But for some of us, some of those are a challenge. And I want to encourage us to work on those, not because Pastor told me I have to. I want us to work on those because, you know what, I love God, and that's what he wants for my life. As I close, I just want to remind us, because for me, this whole series, that verse in 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, is the heart of it. And I just want to remind us one more time what that verse says. It says, this is how we know that love, what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, How can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the hope that we have in you. And uh, Lord, I pray. Lord, I pray for each of us, Lord, that, that our love for you would be our motivation for everything that we do. Lord, forgive us when we have done things with bad motives. Forgive us when we have tried to maybe guilt or shame people into doing things. Lord, help us to always appeal to the love of you. Thank you again, Lord, for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org. And if you haven't yet, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast, whether you use an Android or an iPhone. Or you can come to one of our four worship experiences every weekend. We would love to see you in person. Have a blessed day. you me You forget all My rebellions that you've always shown me You forget all My rebellions and my transgressions